I think one important thing is really to observe light, um, to observe and to observe and take the time to observe it, uh, instead only reading Lux calculations um, and being worried to provide enough Lux in a certain space or that it is even enough or things like that. No, it's more to try to test and to observe the light and then we get more and more people who understand how big the value is we give to projects. Welcome to the Light Lounge, the first podcast for lighting designers, creatives and designers who work with light. My name is Thomas Fnich, I'm a lighting designer in New York City and on today's show I speak with the one and only Ulrike Brandi. Ulrike Brandi has her practice in Hamburg, Germany, and she is one of the most experienced lighting designers in the world right now. She has worked on amazing projects like the Elbe Philharmonica in Hamburg with Herzog de Moron, the Mercedes-Benz Museum with UN Studio, and she did the whole master plan for the city of Rotterdam. What? She did also the master plan for the World Expo in 2000 in Hanover, one of the projects I have a connection to. And we speak about her experience as a student with Dieter Rams and how she built her amazing business. So I find myself sitting at a laptop in my apartment in Brooklyn. And I check out different lighting designers that I would like to speak to in the future. Usually it takes some time to schedule the interview until someone has time. So everything is usually far ahead in the future. I come across the website of lighting designer Ulrike Brandi from Germany. And I check out her projects and I'm about to find out some background information before I approach her. Later, the same day, I am on a fair, on a lighting design fair in New York. And I just walk across the aisles, have a chat with friends here and there. And suddenly, Ulrike Brandi, the same person I was checking out the morning, is, is standing in front of me in an aisle. Okay, I take a deep breath, I walk around the aisle and uh, sort of fake to bump into her and say like, Hey Ulrike, it's a pleasure to meet you. I would like to talk. And... I was completely blown away because she said yes. And she didn't only say yes, she said, okay, do we do it today or tomorrow? So not even 24 hours later, we find ourselves at the office of Daniel Liebeskind, where she has a meeting and um, the office uh, kindly offered that we can have the interview there. So I find myself not even 24 hours speaking with Ulrike Brandi in the office of Daniel Liebeskind. And of course, we start at the beginning, her first steps in the design, product design, and then later lighting design industry. I studied industrial design and um, my professor was Dieter Rams, who is well known for the brown uh, design of the shavers of all the music um, uh, instruments you you find and for this idea again of less is more and I think this is something I learned from him that also in light less is quite often more we don't need much more light uh, quite often uh, than we already have with natural light I studied industrial design and then I designed a light fixture 
in uh, during uh, these thoughts and this these experiments i found out that it's for me much more interesting what happens with the light in the room that comes out of this light fixture instead of uh, looking really at the form of this object so that was one of the points where i thought oh yeah this is interesting Another approach could be, but when I was young, I really didn't want to step into the footsteps of my parents. But looking now backwards, I'm, it's possible for me to see and to be honest about uh, the fact that uh, my father was an architect, my mother was a photographer. So, of course, yeah. The lighting designer <laughs> is the kid of them. <laughs> that makes sense. I think it's, yeah, that's very interesting and very true. So is there, do you still have a, a relationship between product design and lighting? I think you have, you have a lot of different, um, different uh, uh, service offers, uh, the Institute, your service as a, as a lighting designer, but also lighting de uh, fixture development. Is this something that probably fundamentally? Um, yes. The funny thing is when I started my career, which is around 30 years ago, Uh, quite often clients came to me and said, okay, uh, first they say, oh, lighting design is expensive. I said, no, it must not be when you do it in a good way. And then you will design your um, custom-made luminaires and we will not get uh, spare parts and it will be very expensive. This was what happened in that time in the generation of lighting designers before me because the industry didn't, um, in a way, have put so many good uh, luminaires on the market. Now it's very different. We have very uh, sophisticated uh, luminaires with wonderful uh, optical performances. So I prefer to use uh, standard luminaires. Since we have the LED, this changes again a little bit. I mean, we have modules of LEDs and we can put them in in modifications or in arrangements together. So there is a bit more of freedom. But it's still, my most important part is still the light and not uh, the object of the light fixture. Understood. Can I circle back a little bit to when you, when you studied uh, product design with uh, Dieter and the transition into lighting? So you had a project and the, I understand that the The experience of the room that came out of the fixture was um, to you more appealing. What were what were your steps from being a student, having your first hands on lighting, and how did you develop then into sort of establishing it into a business or understanding? Okay, there's actually um, a value I'm providing. Yes, I think I was lucky in a way. I had my first projects already when I was uh, still studying before I earned money with uh, being a taxi driver. So when I had to, in a way, to make my first professional offer, I thought, oh no, I can't take this high amount of money for the work I do and I love to do. But sure, I learned it step by step. And um, then quite soon I had quite big projects. For example, one was, um, B. Brown in Melsungen, um, who produce all medical products, and it was uh, designed by Sterling Wilford and Associates. Oh, wow. And um, 
So I jumped into the cold water in a way. I really had a very, very big project um, already in the beginning. What was in that time uh, was maybe a bit different from nowadays is that there were not that many lighting designers, especially in Germany and in Europe. Um, there was a big respect to the lighting designer mm -hmm. on the side of the architect as well as on the side of the client. Just now, I think there are so many specialists in building and in planning of buildings that maybe uh, all these specialists are a big group and um, you always have to show the client again Uh, how important the role of the lighting designer is, as I think the lighting designer is together with the architect, the person, designer, inventor, who um, cares for aesthetical things and atmosphere in a building. Very important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, can I, and I'm, I'm digging deeper into the moment I'm, I was still a student and I still had, I already had projects. Is this something that you were, because you have, you're very good at communicating and you had like already established connections in the industry or was it through your parent, your, through your father as an architect to already have like something on your hand? How? In a way, my first project was via my father. It was a very small, but um, also prestigious uh, project mm -hmm. uh, in Germany for the Volkwangschule. Um, this wow. is a school where people learn dance, music, um, performance. And uh, this, what I did there was uh, the theme of the sun. And uh, funny thing is that this theme always goes through my life, my professional work, that I always think we have to have a sun as well as sometimes the moon or the stars. So I'm orientated on, um, in, in a way, astronomical uh, objects and light sources. But on the other side, I was quite shy. Um, And I was very interested to combine my um, my profession with my curiosity to to the world. So uh, in that time, I was very fascinated by British architects. So I took my little portfolio and went to different architects' offices and said, "Look, I would really love to work together with you." And in certain um, situations, It that worked. Any any architects that are still around today that you feel comfortable sharing? Oh yes, um, since that time I still work with uh, Ian Ritchie Architects. Okay. So I know him since now nearly 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, there is also in Germany four uh, A architects mm -hmm. uh, in Stuttgart. I like to work with Heinlewisch and Partner in Germany, for example. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, some are since a very long time. Some are uh, New. I do work together yeah. uh, since a shorter time, as, for example, here um, with Daniel Liebeskind, we do the Holocaust Monument of Names, which wow. will have place and will be built in Amsterdam. Wow. That's, uh, it sounds like a, very, uh, like a very big project that, that holds a lot, of, uh, a lot of depth and a lot of responsibility. Not putting too much pressure. <laughs> Not putting too much pressure on you. It's it's really big fun, you know. Yeah. As we are not specialized, I mean, we do um, artificial light in buildings, 
and these buildings can be a hospital, an airport, a museum. Right. Museums are uh, a lot of projects are museums. Um, it's also offices. Uh, so many different things. We already once I did the lighting design for a jail. Wow. Where I think it's so much more important because the people have mm -hmm. to stay in their room mm -hmm. 24 hours a day and not like we normally stay in the office eight hours a day. So it's much more important, but also very restricted um, by the by the tools you can use. Um, this is one part, artificial light in buildings. The other part is daylight. We do a lot of daylight simulations and as well consultation. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's one of the themes of my heart um, to uh, improve the use of daylight in buildings yeah. and uh, to be aware of how beautiful it is and also how healthy it is at the same time and how it could also help to, to deal more um, um, sustainable in our world. So that is, and then another field is um, master planning, uh, light uh, master plans, where we did one very big, uh, was the Expo 2000 in Hanover, a right. really huge um, master plan Campus. light, which is still used Active. now, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and was one of the first uh, outdoor spaces uh, with a control for this huge thing. Wow now nearly 20 years ago yes well wow. that was great. was it was it was it a specific uh, control system that you used or how how, you, how that's yeah it was still you know we controlled and uh, we dimmed as well metal halide wow. lamps so wow okay. <laughs> that was one of the challenges i can imagine and we had to to use different uh, systems but it was all uh, controlled at a central place where they could say okay these areas should be dimmed now and um, these paths it was yeah, a challenge one, yeah. yes <laughs> i can also imagine i i remember of course i was much uh, i was not even at puberty at the time. <laughs> uh, but of course, I remember the Expo 2000 as something very vividly. Um, I remember that the development of the project had like a very fast uh, uh, pace, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, is this something that you still experience today that the project pace gets much, much faster, that you have to produce, come up with creative ideas plus the technical translation in a, in a short amount of time? Yes. Um Quite often it goes faster, but I must say I like a certain dynamic in projects. Um, we also have the other side where, you know, uh, projects are postponed or you have to stop in between. For example, with the Elbphilharmonie, which uh, was such a wonderful uh, project and it started so in such an enthusiastic way also in the communication with the architects. But then we started in 2005, but then wow. in 2008 there were stops and um, for a while we couldn't plan anymore. And that is, uh, I think that's worse than having a very fast project, I must say. Yeah, I understand. I, under mm -hmm. I understand. And that's, a, that's also a reasoning why I went into uh, doing the podcast to have like a more, like a more yes. immediate result, whereas especially the long-term projects. And I was, um, um, yeah, very honored to work on long-term projects as well. But it's like 
sometimes rough to keep the excitement up, but then of course it's like a, a big, a big hype at the end when everything comes together. I want to, I want to um, dip on two things. Number one, I want to come back to the importance of of daylight and health. Um, I've been. I've been reading a lot over the last one or two years because living in a city like New York is a very challenging thing as well. And especially in a, as a as a new more newcomer to the industry, even though I've had touch points the last 10 years, uh, you try to still find sort of your role and your own pace. So I got into like what what drives people, what is healthy, what works potentially against depression, what can you do? And I think the the prism example of the project is a very Uh, is a very good one because I think the dynamic part of daylight is a big driving factor that keeps us very healthy. Um, could you explain a little bit how you may be starting from the prison um, project and then moving on to more elaborate, um, more sophisticated, pro I mean, probably mm -hmm. it was sophisticated as well, but how do you see the importance of daylight coming back into architecture? Yeah, I think... On one side, daylight uh, doesn't have a lobby, really. Um, we are told that with all these new LED techniques, we are able to imitate uh, the daylight dynamic. And on one side, yes, sure, it's good. But on the other side, the true daylight is still uh, much stronger and has a much bigger influence on our health. And um, as well, you get it for free. Sure, we always have to see, we um, uh, we design a hospital in Tashkent now, and sure, there um, people are aware of the heat that you get into buildings um, by the sunshine they have, and so it's always the balance between protecting a building from too much heat, and on the other side, um, to get as much daylight into the building as uh, possible. I don't like um, uh, glasses that are like filters and are static and always filter the light out, even if you have cloudy days. Um, you have darkness in rooms then as the effect of it and need artificial light again. So we try to find other ways as um, there are kind of natural sunshades as well as plants or the pergola or um, sort of uh, louvers and things outside of the building. It's also important how you orientate the building. Are there rooms that are better to the north and south side and other rooms better to east and west? We had architects, for example, who changed the whole um, ground floor of a restaurant because I said put the restaurant rooms um, on the west side where you have the sunset and the nice view and the kitchen on the east side because in the mornings people don't stay that long in the restaurant. So these are little aspects um, mm -hmm. where I also would like to do, I mean that's one of my dreams to, to be involved in a master plan of a new city area mm -hmm. um, and to look that this master plan is um, developed in a way that daylight is optimized in the buildings of this master plan would be good fun. 
I think a lot of architects pay more attention again to it after, and that's maybe my perception, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that um, architects from the beginning of their of their existence always paid attention to lighting, but then when electricity was introduced and electric light was introduced, no one really had to care anymore because you had at least the functional aspect of light and you didn't need daylight anymore. Do you f see that there is a rising awareness again from architects to pay more attention to daylight again? I agree with you how you described the history of uh, light in architecture, and especially natural light in architecture. I mean, we had so many beautiful historic examples of architecture that played with the, the natural light. Yes, I think there is a little, little... Um, um, sort of development or direction to give more attention to daylight. As I see it specifically in Scandinavia, um, there are architects who really also for bigger buildings, administrative buildings or schools or as well hospitals, uh, looking much more for um, the necessity of daylight. Mm -hmm. But I still think this is uh, something also lighting designers should, um, more lighting designers should also offer the day, their daylight uh, expertise. Because it's, yeah, important. It's part of it, yeah, absolutely. And after the break, we speak finally about the business side of light and how she defines and communicates the value of light and what how she brings the value to the project. And then, of course, what clients want and what clients are asking for. And then, towards the end, super exciting, what the future of light is and that the future potentially lies in mushrooms and that the future does not need to be always high technology. Hi guys, this is Thomas. No worries, this is not an ad or anything. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for listening right now. Uh, it absolutely means the world to me and I'm absolutely grateful to be a part of this amazing lighting design community all around the world. And if you are listening, you are most likely one of the few lighting designers out there and you probably understand that the more we speak and hear about light, the better for all of us. Um, the better we understand the needs of our clients, but also the better the insights we get from friends and colleagues, the better service we can provide and eventually make this world a better place. So please do me a favor. I'm asking for a little bit of help here. Um, please do me a favor and just leave a great rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and help share that there's a lighting design podcast out there, either on Spotify, Anchor, or Podbean, or where, wherever you're listening to it. There are amazing episodes coming, and I'm trying to speak to the best lighting designers out there, and it just means the world to me, and I'm just saying thank you here. So we are jumping right back into the conversation with lighting designer Ulrike Brandi at Daniel Liebeskind. Especially today, how do you develop or start your business and how do you quantify lighting design as a valuable asset? Do you think you said before lighting design, electric lighting design has a lobby or you said daylight doesn't have a lobby? Has lighting design actually a lobby or are we still fighting to demonstrate the value of light? Oh, yeah, uh, you're right. I think we are still always teaching yeah. when we are working in our profession. I mean, I also do the teaching in my Brandy Institute and um, the openness to um, 
to have a perception for light is very big. I also see it when I talk with uh, with architects in my projects or with the clients. Mm. When I tell them only little things about color temperature and coziness, for example, about the height of a light point, as I said uh, just earlier, um, and I give examples to it, then it's easily understood. And quite often later on, then I hear, oh yeah, now I understand what you said. I think one important thing is really to observe light, um, to observe and to observe and take the time to observe it. Uh, instead only reading Lux calculations um, and uh, being worried to provide enough Lux in a certain space or that it is even enough or things like that. No, it's more to try to test and to observe the light and then we get more and more people who understand how big the value is we give to projects. This is as well a reason I really like to, to do mock-ups. Um, it's easy for existing buildings, for facades, for example, uh, to do a mock-up. But then, sure, we also have projects that are still only in paper or uh, digitally um, existing. So it's nice uh, to build smaller spaces and to test and to try the light there. Yeah. As the industry is getting... I'm not sure if the word diluted is the right word, but as you mentioned before, when you started, there were just fewer lighting designers. And that's maybe also a good thing because I think from my perspective, the more we educate and the more, the stronger the lighting design industry gets, the, the better for all of us because people value lighting as actually a profession. Um, but as more lighting designers come onto the market and you have more, um, a larger a larger group of people who work more on the technical side people who work more on the creative side we a lighting designer needs to know needs to bridge the gap between like the poetry of light that can be so deep of like telling a story of a fairy tale but then at the same time you need to really dig deep into complex control systems and protocols and programming do you think there will be the market in the future where lighting designers will be only responsible for the creative part or there will be lighting designers that will be on the technical side only. Will there, will there be like almost in the architecture where you have the design architect and then you have the executive architect? Do you, do you think there will be a, um, mm -hmm. a more distinction between the profession or do you think a lighting designer will always have to have the full range of understanding and knowledge? Yeah, that's a good question, and we will see how it will develop. I mean, on one side, we also see that um, quite often now lighting designers are part of bigger engineering offices, so the market also changes a lot. There are lighting designers in a very small size, sometimes only one person, mm -hmm. um, and then there are lighting designers like the size of my office. I um, and the, the most people I had was uh, 16 people and then um, there are big in, bigger uh, lighting designers offices and then sure departments and architectural offices or engineering offices. What I think is still that um, there shouldn't be a distinction between the technical and uh, the artistic or um, aesthetic part mm -hmm. because for me art as well 
And design, a good design, is to to make something beautiful, but also to do it with um, adequate um, media or um, tools, which means I have to know about uh, the physics of light, I have to know about technical um, conditions for the light, because only then I can design something that is adequate and that makes it its beauty as well. Maybe that is also a reason or the reason I think this way is because I was a student of Tita Rams. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't distinguish this. But on the other side, um, for example, the development in the controls now is so fast that I can't say about myself, I'm, I really do know what this product and that product and this product is able to do. I have to have a general knowledge about it, but then I need, again, specialists who help me to design uh, the controls. But what I do is to define the lighting sceneries, which also means I know about the circuits and, and have a technical part. But it's more that I'm the dialogue partner to someone else who is specialized in this. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes that's it seems it seems so simple, and of course there was a lot of knowledge behind what you just mentioned, and I'm simplifying it, and maybe it sounds so simple that you just I'm oversimplifying here drastically. <laughs> just bringing two people together is sometimes something very powerful. I where did I had I had like a quote. There is like uh, it's one dollar to hit the nail on the head, and ninety nine. Uh, $999 for finding the head. So it's not necessarily the act of like placing a fixture, it's knowing where to place and how to connect people. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, here you are talking as well about um, the fact that we are working in teams. I mean, I think um, I, I feel quite um, sure about the work I do and I know how to integrate it into the work of an architect or a landscape architect. Um, but I always have my ideas by talking with the people in my office, for example, and having this dialogue as well as with the whole team together with the architect and, and the client. And to go there, to be open-minded in this situation, to respect everybody and to learn from them, I think that's the best thing in our profession, that we have these situations. And oh. we should keep those. Of course, the, the better the team, the better the outcome of a project. Mm -hmm. um, we are um, we are coming to the to the to the last questions because I want to be mindful with your time. Uh, do you feel that um, clients and I'm going into direct into the direction of new technologies and controls? Do you have the feeling that um, architects and clients ask for more technologies that we are sort of trying to? Um, to get behind and to provide this um, or do you have the feeling that we as lighting designers we can we can push more i'm going very specific mm -hmm. here but uh, no i let you ask I, I let you answer the question first <laughs> yeah i would say there are different types of clients i mean we have some clients who say please i would like to have two simple switches and that's all and mm -hmm. i don't mm -hmm. want to be especially when you go to a hotel room you always experienced you all experienced how difficult it is to find out how to switch the light off so this is one thing i as the person who uses it doesn't want to have um 
have to think about what is what kind of technique is behind of this. On the other side, sure, we are all people who like to play, and when we see it's possible to to have dynamic things, to have some movable um, light situations as well. Sure, we like to play, so it has both sides, I think, and this is something um, we have to be very aware of, that we need to take a long time to explain our clients what implicates this or that uh, technique or this or that need. Because quite often then later on they come and say, oh no, that was too complicated or oh, now I would like to have this feature as well. So it's also a communication um, uh, target. Or, yeah. yeah. Do you see, do you see um, that, and now I'm getting further into the future, that we have smartwatches or we have smartphones in our pockets and that let's just focus on private clients that this will something that will come that people just enter their space and because the system installed in the apartment recognizes okay this person enters and that the lighting automatically adjusts or the lighting turns on while i'm sitting on my sofa and i just open a book and suddenly the lamp will switch on is this something that you potentially see or do you see do you, do yeah, you think I mean, this is all these so-called smart home things and I talk a lot uh, about it with either clients but as well colleagues and uh, manufacturers and one side is very enthusiastic about it others are saying no I still would like to have it under my control I think it's much more comfortable that I switch the light on and I do it because I want it in this moment yeah. and I'm not directed by my house. Mm -hmm. And sure, there are these other, all these issues of, um, of safety. If someone can break into your house as long as, as it's smart or uh, as well as the data uh, safety as well. Yeah. So people are aware of that. But we all don't know how much we ourselves uh, influence um, how this industry goes and I mean we all have criticism about our uh, smartphones mm. and we use them and because we would be out of a community if we wouldn't use it yeah. even if we know that data is not safe and everybody can track where we are and what we do yeah I think it's a balance between being very mindful of um Uh, how to use the data and that it's protected um, but of course at the same time be m also mindful that I think there are, there are much more good people out there than bad people and well the technology of course brought a lot of advantages as well mm -hmm. so I completely agree that it's it will be a challenge in the future but we are I think as you said we all like to play always excited to play with new um, with new things yeah I mean we also could think about when we look at um at the world now, um, we see that quite often we we don't act uh, sustainable. And um, to talk about the LED, only to look at the energy consumption, I think is really a very narrow uh, point of view. Sustainability would be if you could, um, in a way, use uh, the LED cradle to cradle in a way that doesn't mean yep. that Uh, children in India have to mm -hmm. uh, uh, walk it. in the yeah. in the mud of um, uh, poisoned so, materials. Yeah. 
So we also, we do a little test thing just now um, about uh, bioluminescence. Uh -huh. Um, we start to grow um, bioluminescent mushrooms oh, in wow. our office. Oh, wow. Um, and sure, this is a light source you wouldn't see in a city where you have so much ambient light. But if you are at quite dark places, and we are planning it for a place where you really don't have environmental light around, it will give you the path from the main building to the little huts where you can sleep. So... Um, there are always more ideas to work with other light sources than only saying LED is now the solution for everything. I think that's important. Well, I think that's a truly outside the box thinking. And that was, of course, only my mistake that I was like very narrow focused on like new technologies. But of course, this is like the even better approach to play and yeah think about yeah. new ways how to create light and how to create ambiences yes exactly i mean this is a good thing we can play sure it would be nice to to have higher honorars to have a bit a bit more space and time mm -hmm. for playing but this is um in some projects you are allowed to play and to find uh, new solutions i think this is what brings us yeah forward how far in the process are you do you feel okay that we can that we can use these as a tool very soon or is it something where you see okay small development is happening but we need a little bit more time for that yeah it's difficult to say in in years mm. but i think there are very serious and good um, developments um, where we can use them where we have a very low level of of light around that's yeah. for sure but for orientation yeah it's perfect excellent <laughs> thank you so much i want to wrap up with where can people find you um is there anything you would like um you would like to plug or to promote something another project that you're working on right now where you would like to guide some information or some attention to um yeah yeah i mean um Oh, there are so many projects. Always the projects I'm working <laughs> on, on right are now, the best. Course. I mean, we do <laughs> a wonderful project on Malta where I have been uh, last week where uh, an old brewery is converted to an office building where also daylight plays a big role because the architect cut in the long um, kind of production hall. He cut um, kind of courtyards to bring daylight into the old uh, nice. building. Yeah. And we have a wonderful client there who also is so enthusiastic about the light, uh, that's light the, situation. That that's makes me happy yeah. about it. Yeah, that's great. And um, with the same architect with Ian Ritchie, we do a theater in Cairo, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, and sort of the idea of glass obelisks we use there. Mm -hmm. um, But sure, also in Hamburg we do a project now. It's a master plan for a whole area that is south of the river Elbe. And in Hamburg, the town planning administration does this the so-called jump above the river. That mm -hmm. means bringing or to connect uh, both parts, north and south, together, where the south was always the underprivileged part. So as you see, I... Um, It is a, a social aspect in, in the work, uh, which I love, really to um, 
try to do nice things for people and for our future. But maybe my website shows <laughs> more of the projects <laughs> and sure as well the Brandy Institute um, is something where we the, our last um, workshop has happened in Kaliningrad in Russia. Interesting. Yes, yeah. and the years before we did quite a lot in Mexico. So we travel a little bit more than it was intended in the beginning. But we see that there are so many Much people. demand. Yes, yeah. enthusiastic about learning uh, about light and taking time to learn about it and to observe it. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, that was um, that was truly enlightening in a lot of moments. And I, um, I hope maybe we get together in the future sometime soon because you do so much more that we did not even touch on today. But I uh, really appreciate it. That was that was really really nice. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> And thank you so much for listening so far. Um, I truly enjoyed the conversation I had with Ulrike and I hope you did as well. Something Ulrike mentioned sort of on the way out, um, she's very passionate as well, passionate about as well that I did not, that we did not have the chance to cover in the interview. It's actually women in lighting design and uh, females in the lighting design industry and of course in leadership positions. So that's something she's really passionate about and I am just trying to be helpful and to support this as well as much as I can because we all need more equality in order to just have a better society so i'm very happy to facilitate a contact if you have any questions regarding to that and i'm of course obviously a man so i try to find here the right tone but i just try to use the platform and to support equality in all on all levels okay um so that was it for today's episode and i am tr i have a little i have a little interest um i'm trying to find if there are I don't know, funny stories connected to lighting design. I'm not sure if there is something out there, if this exists. So if you have like a funny story or you have a story you think is worth sharing and maybe there is like something where I can put like a special episode together, um, why don't you share your story and just shout out um, on Instagram and say quickly hi to me. There are amazing episodes coming up and I am very excited to share these with you and I'm very excited to see you and speak with you all in the future. So long, all the best and best regards from New York City. Thank you guys. <laughs>